For today's episode, I'd like to highlight the work of a fantastic industry charity. The film and TV charity supports people in the UK film and TV industry at every stage of their career and beyond. From their important work on mental health, which led to the creation of the whole picture programme, and their help for crew being affected by COVID-19. If you, a member of your family or a friend who works in the industry, needs help or someone to talk to, please go to filmtvcharity.org.uk. Let's get started. Hola, film family. I'm Isusko, your host, a.k.a. The Time Scheduler. Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, which is a chat with the best of the UK film crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. I want to give a special thanks to Island Studios for the recording space. Thank you, Mark, Mitch, Pauline and the whole team. And wherever you're listening, I hope you enjoy. Big love. So, hi, film family. Welcome to um, another episode of the Film Gods. Um, the, the positive thing for me about this COVID-19 is that there's so many very busy, amazing people that have got so much time on their hands that I can just hit them up and they, they're saying yes. And today it's just an absolute honor and a privilege um, to have this man with us talk about what he does. Um, and the, the little chat that we've just had, I'm, I'm super excited about some of the stories that we might be able to hear today. So um, firstly, thank you for coming on, sir. And secondly, okay. what is your name and what do you do? Uh, my name's Toby Callander and I'm a producer. So what does producing mean to you? What is it Gosh. that you do on a day-to-day or a month-to-month or a year-to-year? I think it means uh, a lot of different things. I mean, you know, I've been a, a producer who had to grab... I mean, I think in, in, its essence, in its essence, a proper producer is someone who can persuade another person to hand over a cheque so a bunch of people can turn up for work and make something. Nice. That would be how I started um, when I started producing because <clears throat> when I started producing, no one wanted me to be a producer. There was no one around going, oh, here you go. Here's a, here's a job. Become mm. a producer. I had to force that issue, which I forced quite early on by um, I worked for a, that was a, a third job I'd had. Um, it was, a, you know, I managed to persuade a guy at a record company to give me 10 grand to make a video with wow. the director that I barely knew. Um, and that was, that was, I suppose that's one, and, and there are still people out there like that. Um, obviously, working in production companies, very hard to get work to produce, and, and mm. it's quite an art. Um, and then the other side of production, obviously, is, is what I do more of now as a freelance producer is, you know, work with a production company to budget a job um, and then see that once we've got that, once we've won that job, to see that job through to the end, um, make the company its markup, uh, try and make a good film, try and keep clients and the agency happy. And if they are all happy at the end of it, then I've done my job. If I've, you know, if we've produced a good commercial that the client's happy with, if the director's happy, if the company's made their money and everyone's got paid, then happy days. That's, that's, that's a good, that'd be a good production. Amazing. So, and I, you, so I suppose you, that. Yeah. You, you, you kind of started to, to, to give us a little inkling there but how do you start where where is an in for for the industry i can only talk about how i started um i started as a runner i mean it was uh, i uh, i left university i had a degree in fine art um which wasn't really fine art it's history of art but east anglia they called it fine art i don't know mm-hmm. why 
Um, and for six months, I was a roadie. I used to drive a band called the Higsons Round, which wow. was um, Charlie Higson, who's now, you know, the Fast Show. Yeah. Um, it was his, him and a bunch of other guys I was at university with while I was looking for a job. And I, could, I, I, wrote, I wrote what I thought were quite clever letters. I phoned a lot of people. But it was in the days when you had to have a ticket to get a job and a job to get a ticket. So you also part of that process was going to the ACTT in Soho Square and sneaking in and getting their vacancy list, which you weren't allowed to do, but you blagged your way in. That's where you said, oh, remember, I need to get the vacancy list. And if you had enough front, they'd give it to you. So but what it, is it, the vacancy? They're like, that's something I've never They had like, it was, it was, it was a, a sheet of, I remember it was a, vividly, it was a yellow sheet of printed page of jobs that were available to ACTT members. Obviously I wouldn't have been, but it wouldn't have been possible for me to get a job as a, a runner on a film set, but yeah. it was my only chance of try. That was my only, only, only way in, I thought. Um, and then I realized um, that it, that wasn't going well because I didn't really know anybody. Mm. You needed to know someone. And my, my godfather was a doctor in Richmond and um, or in Ham near Richmond, close to where you live. Um, yeah. And, Not a million miles away. Um, yeah. And my mum used to work part time in the surgery. Uh, and one day she came back from work. So I got you an interview with Alan Parker. And I went, how'd you manage that? He said, well, he came into the surgery today. And I went, oh, you're a, you're a different director, aren't you? And she, he went, yeah. And I said, well, my son needs a job. You need to help him. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, on, um, yeah. Well, yeah, go on, and and, uh, and she, we live two doors now from Alan Parker. So I get a call about a day later from his assistant going, oh, Alan wants, to, wants you to come over. So I walked around, sat down at a cup of tea, talked to him. He was writing Angel Heart at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I sat and talked politics, basically. I was a nice. you know, fairly committed socialist. Um, and, uh, and so was he. Um, and we talked about that and we talked about film and he ended up going, so I'm not quite sure what your problem is. You seem like a smart enough kid. And I went, well, I've worked it out. I don't know anybody. He said, well, you know me. And I went, I do. And he went, yeah. And he wrote down <laughs> six do names and a bit of paper. Yeah, you do now. And he wrote six names and a bit of paper. And he said, call them, tell them you're a friend of mine and you'll be all right. And I got a list and I won't tell you who was on the list except the bloke at the top. The bloke at the top was a guy called Gabrick Losey, who was Joe Losey's son. Joe Losey was a director who got who had to direct under a pseudonym, had to leave America because of McCarthy. Mm -hmm. um, directed all about Eve, the go-between. Okay. Um, and a big, big American Hollywood director who came to the UK and worked under a pseudonym because he wasn't allowed to work as Joe Loshi. Yeah. Yeah. And Gabrick, his son, had produced. I didn't know anything about his son. Uh, so I, I, I phoned this guy up and his assistant, who I know still this day, said, well, you should come in and see Gabrick. He'll be interested to meet you. So I went in. I didn't know who this bloke was. But um, on the walls, in the, it, it's a very strange film company called Legion Films in Pimlico. It was owned by a guy called Stephen Bentick, who's a Von Tyson, very rich. And film people in those days found rich people. That's what they were good at. Yeah, nice. If you wanted to make films, you needed rich people to, to fund your development because no yeah. one else was doing it. There was no tax breaks or anything. So, uh, yeah, and, and on the walls in his office, there were pictures of films that he'd been involved with, like Babylon, that's a film that he'd produced. Um, and the go-between he'd been on and stuff. And um, so I walked in and he said, so what do you know about me? And I just started, um, excuse the French, I started bullshitting. I yeah. pretended that I knew he was. Uh, and that's how I got my first job. Um, uh, just just photo um, photocopying scripts, stuff like that. Um, and that led to me meeting people who had a little video company there. 
And that led to them starting up their own little company. It led to me going there as a PA, just, you know, working on shoots. And after about, I don't know, been in, I've been in the business about a year, I said to these guys, um, I want to start producing. And they went, well, you're not ready. And I went, well, how'd you, how'd, how'd you know that? And they went, well, you know, you can't produce because you haven't got any jobs. Uh, and we'll tell you when you're ready. And I went, well, if I get a job, if I can get some money out of someone, what happens then? And they, said, and they looked at me like I was mad and went, well, <laughs> then you can produce, can't you? Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I've been just lucky. So I, I, just so I get a sense of time, but is this like early 20s? Are you like kind of just... Yeah, li- like 23, just 24 years Confidence old. oozing. Just full of shit, yeah. Um, <laughs> not a lot different to how I am now, but just a little bit more experience in nonsense. Anyway, I am... Um, so I, 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 I've done a... Um, I worked on a a couple of videos for a band called Vitamin Z that you'd never heard of, but classic 80s nonsense, mm-hmm. uh, uh, via this company. And, and, the, and the guy at the record company, there was a guy called Nigel Dick, who um, is now a, a, a director. And Nigel was leaving Phonogram to go and become a video director. He'd done Howard Jones, he'd done Tears for Fears. Yep. So he had a, had, a, had a reel, and he'd all directed them as a video commissioner at Phonogram. And... Uh, I figured that he was the guy to go and talk to because he was clearing his desk out and he, I'm just thinking, he's got to have something. Yeah. So I went to see him and I said, look, Nigel, have you got anything that you need to get done before you leave that I could do? Mm. I don't need much. I just, I've got this guy, got this director called Greg Mazowacki. I think he's quite good. Just, you know, anyway. And Nigel went funnily enough and he pulled out a tape out of his head. So those guys, Vitamin Z, that you work with, you said they've got, because everybody in those days had a three video deal with, with their record deal. Okay. Um, this, this band, they, they've got, they got one more video needs to be done. They got 10 grand. Do you want it? And I went, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. So I went back to the people that were employing me and I said, I've got a video. And um, so I'll produce that, shall I? Yeah. Thanks very much. And they went, and they went <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I suppose you better. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, and so I went into this thing, with not a clue, yeah. not a clue, not a clue. Um, a little bit of an idea of, had you been on film sets before or had it all just <laughs> been in-house and- I'd be, No, I'd been, I'd been on, I'd been on, I'd been on four videos. I went to Turkey mm-hmm. to do two videos for Vitamin Z with these American directors. Uh, we were the first British film crew to be allowed back into Istanbul or Turkey since they made Midnight Express, funnily wow. enough, Alan Parker. Mm. And so we were followed like hawks because, mm. You know, that, you know that Midnight Express wasn't made in Turkey, right? The yeah. only bit of that film that was made in Turkey, it was made in Morocco. The whole film was made in Morocco, apart from the bit when he escapes over the Bosphorus at the end, yeah. over the bridge at the Bosphorus. Alan Parker shot that under the guise of a B&H commercial. So wow. imagine how they reacted when they saw a film about Turkey yeah. that they put in that kind of light. Anyway, so we were followed around. Um, so I did those two. Um, as I a did, producer? Uh, no, no, as a lowly PA. Just okay. like, and then I did, a P- I was PA on a Howard Jones video. Um, this is really aging me. Uh, and then one for a band called Japan that I doubt yeah. you've ever heard of. But, oh, okay. Um, so those were the four I'd done. So I'd kind of, obviously, and I'd done book crews and I'd see, I'd watched what this producer, Karina, was doing um, and learned a lot from her. And uh, so then I got this 10 grand and I, I went to... Uh, I mean, there are two people involved in that. Phil Barnes and Howie Nichol mm. are both in that video. 
Wow. Um, because they were mates of Nigel. So how are Salman, Phil Brown's producer. Yeah, they're in the they're video. Both involved. <laughs> I think Howie. I do think. I think Howie's under a white sheet, or is that all Phil is? I can't remember. I, I involved Phil because he had a van. Love it. I knew Phil. Phil had a band called Any Trouble that Nigel Dick knew because of their had a connection with Stiff Records, yeah. and he used to share a flat with Howie. Hmm. So that's how I got to know both of those guys. Love it. Um, right early on, and then I t- and, and and we did this video at Fulham Studios. Jed Clark was running Fulham Studios at the mm-hmm. time, the art director. Uh, and I turned up with £300 in my pocket and said, this is what I need. And he went, for what? And I went, for everything. Like, you know, <laughs> no, do you think that'll work? And he was like, he was also quite young. And he was like, well, I'm going to work in this for you. I suppose I better do it. So we did that. And then it was like, but then when, when, you know, when we got to work with a DP, that's when I realised the grown-up was in the building because we were like a bunch of idiots. Mm. And a guy called Nick Noland, who, who he shot, he was one of the DPs on the Rolling Stones in Hyde Park. It's like that much history behind him. And he wow. developed the art on camera. He helped develop the art on camera. Um, and so when Nick showed up, it was like, okay, so this is what, this is the guy that you really need. If you've got a good DP, everything's going to be fine. Because he yeah. could look at us and go, you are joking me, right? That's not going to work. Or you think he's just sussed it how, out this, first meeting. This is how we do that. And I'm literally like, Okay. Funny thing about Nick was he was deaf in his left ear. So if you spoke to him on the wrong side, he didn't hear you. So Greg, the director, kept on coming up to him in the shoot and going, he's just ignoring me. And I go, try the other ear. He's like, okay. <laughs> um, and then we shot some stuff on Super 8 and we made this video and it did okay. Yeah. And then we got another video from the new guy at Phonogram Records because we just delivered a video. And then we got another video from a band called Hipsway. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. And that was, and it was just like that. And then, and then, and then, uh, another uh, another company came to me and said, "We want you to." I've been producing videos for six months, yeah. and this company called AWGO came to me and said, um, "We'd like you to run a company." I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, that's we, a big you could jump. Bring that director, quite yeah. a big jump, but it was yeah. just they were they were. I was just they clearly thought I could get music videos, and then we had Stuart Orme there, who was who'd done Phil Collins, you know, in the air tonight and stuff. He was pretty big, and then Marcelo was another director who who'd worked with Brian Grant and David Mallet on the early Duran Duran videos. And he was doing all Andy Taylor and Arcadia stuff. So they, had, they were quite, but they wanted to get some new people in. So they got mm. the little idiot me in. Um, and, then, and then six months later, eight months later, we started in America and I went to LA. Wow. So that's, that's like a really quick, sharp rise up through the ranks. Yeah, I had I love to it. the gab, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was about, I'd, I'd say it was about a year and a half from starting um to my to running a company um no i wasn't really running it i mean i was doing the music videos they were taking care of business yeah but i was involved in all of that Mm. um and then la you know and doing and when when it when it all kind of when it did sort of take off a bit because obviously in los angeles there was there was more money in me and i got a um uh an alexander o'neill video for a song called criticize um, that I got for this guy, this director Marcelo Anciano, and we did that. And then, then we got a lot of R&B, black R&B artists wanted to work with us, which was brilliant. I mean, we were just like these two English Amazing. guys running around LA working with loads of, you know. In those days, there was no black A&R division. There was nobody taking care of these guys. They, they were all part of the, you know, the white record label system. Yeah. Um, but I just got to work with people like Gloria Estefan and, you know, oh, wow. lots of people like that. Um, I don't know. And then, 
yeah, then I came back, got bored of LA and came back home. How long does it take to get bored of LA? Um, took me about a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, you had to, you had to, there, there is a dislocation there that you feel, I felt, mm. you know, you don't bump into people. Like I said, I like, bumped into Stuart yesterday and we're not, yeah. we're in lockdown and yeah. I find someone walking, not walking by the river, I find a production manager, yeah. but in Los Angeles that never happens. You just don't, not for me anyway. Um, and I, and, I, and I think I felt it was, it, it, there were certain things going on in the company that I was with that I felt weren't right and I just wanted to come home. Mm. Um, uh, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should have stayed. You know, that's, but that's another. That's, that's another, another podcast. Life. That's another <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. No, about a year and a half. I, you know, I was, I was back and forth a bit. Yeah. And then, and by then Phil Barnes was running AWJ in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I came back and left that company and then went and worked at Limelight. Um, as, as, as a producer there when Danny about the time Danny Kleinman was just starting and Limelight then was the best company in the world yeah. they were they were like Steve Barron and John Lloyd and you know and uh, Bailey Walsh and, uh, and John Mabry I mean just like amazing amazing directors and, and Danny um, uh, I worked there for about a year and a half before I went off and started Parzan mm-hmm. um, but yeah it was a good place to work it was a, that was a brilliant place does it yeah. did- did the era, did the era allow for new companies to thrive, for things to just kind of start off, or was it just that you had such a? Because it feels like you could you you could probably just turn your hand to anything. And you're like, I want to do this, and you go and do it. Is, is there a part of, you know, could people still be doing this now? Is there still that element of being able to just go right? I'm going to leave that company. I'm going to go and start something else. Or have we? I, think it's much, I don't know. I think it's much harder now. I, I'm, we're, and we're talking commercials, obviously, but in yes. those days it was music videos, which I think was, I mean, music videos in those days was, was, was you know, a low budget music video was 30 grand. Um, you pitched to a record company, only two or three people pitching. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the open thing now. They don't, didn't expect the earth. So mm-hmm. the, it was much more, it was, it, 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 here now it seems from what I've seen, directors that I've worked with recently who, who do music videos, that there's an awful lot expected for not very much money, hmm. um, which in those days would comparatively to commercials would have been the same. Um, but there was a, but, every, but it was a, but music videos were a massive business in those days. Hmm. There was every, every artist, as I said, every artist who got a record deal, got a music video deal as part of that. Wow. There was a market for it. There was, it was, you know, MTV was starting, but in the chart show every Friday on the Saturday chart show it was like, that was the thing you had to get on, get your video on, and that's how that that drove record sales, mm. along with you know people going into radio. Um, so, I think it was. I don't know. I don't know if experience tell if if now uh, you know now I'm not 27. Um, maybe I don't. Maybe I just think it's mad to try and do it now. But I'm sure you can. There are some very talented people out there. Mm. Um, if you've got talent, you know. If you've got, to, you know, I, I think we we, we were driven. We were very driven, uh, and we were we were allowed to be so. I think there was the, the, the doors were far more open mm. to people who had a bit of drive to them um, than I think they might be now. I think it's it, it needs. You know, I think now it, it's it's more difficult. I think there's there's more competition. Yeah, the internet has made it harder. You know, yeah. you've got the whole world in your hands. You know, uh, uh, creatives or record companies or artists can look at it and go, oh, that bloke in. Australia, he could do this. All we've got to do is send him, a, you know, send him a quick, send him a track, hmm. um, and they can do a video and send it back. Yeah. We don't need to be there. 
that needs to be part of the process. In those days, getting Americans to do a video in London would have been a big number. Mm. Um, and it, so I, I think it'd be much harder. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity when we had it. Um, and to be so naive and still be able to do it, I think. Yeah. You know. Well, that, that kind of, and, and I guess, excuse the phrase, but the lack of experience you know, most people kind of go in your your first three years in the industry, three four years. You kind of gone from a PA to running, mm. you know, big productions. That kind of did that because it was such a short amount of time. Did you ever have the the, the thought that you go, oh, I might actually want to be an AD, or I might want to be a, or were you just so kind of did it just all happen so quickly? You're like, oh well, I've chosen production. I'm into producing. I'm I'm doing it now. I thought I was brilliant at it, I think. Um, oh, nice. And I, and, I, and, and, and I thought I was brilliant at running companies, which I'm clearly not. I don't think I am. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I had an arrogance about me. Um, and um, I, I was convinced I was going to make movies and win Oscars. That's what I wanted to do. Okay. I didn't, it, it, this wasn't the grand plan. Yeah. Um, I got distracted. I got distracted. And I, and I used to, I did, you know, I can remember being in LA and waking up in the middle of the night going, holy cow, what are you doing? You know, you don't <laughs> know what like you're a dream. Don't, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, <laughs> I'm being, and, I, and literally having got, as a guy at Epic Records, who was my biggest mentor, who basically said to me, I don't care which one of your directors does this as long as you're producing it. And I'm like, I don't know why anybody would say that to me. <laughs> um, and, um, but they did. And, and, and I, and I, it was, it was a real, it was a roller coaster ride. And mm. so um, when I, you know, and I think, but I think the, the energy was, you know, the energy of a young person who's just thinks that they can do anything. Was that probably belief. what was the, yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. I mean, I, you, you can't repeat that at my age now. You can't, you can't do that again, nor would I want to, but I see people around that really impressed me that are doing something similar. Yeah. There are production companies that I work with where I look at the, the team of, whatever you want to call them executives or whatever people like at biscuit who were just driven by their belief and by their desire to do good stuff and run a, you know, a, a good company. And I'm really impressed by it. I go, and I go, I don't know how they've got the energy for that, but you know, you had that energy, you know, we've all, you know, different times in our life, we do different things. Mm. Um, but that time, yeah, we just believed we were, I mean, when Pete and I started partisan and Pete Chambers and I started partisan, we, we worked, you know, harder than anybody else. Mm. Without a doubt. We were on it all the time, on that getting, trying to get work, trying to get directors, trying to, you know, foster talent. Um, What's a startup on a company like? Is it, you know, there'll probably be film students and media students listening now who are kind of like, you know, 16, 17, that think, I want to start a company. You know, Mm. what, what do you need to have as a basis of people? Is it just, people that will work hard with some great ideas or do you need to have more it does there need to be more to kind of make something happen well i think you know a lot of energy um but you also need talent uh you can do producers can do nothing without directors hmm. we are a little vacuum no one will employ us without directors and if you're running if you start in a production company uh and the things that i did when i started you need talent uh talented directors and then a lot of belief in those days, I think, or before, I think in, in the past, it was easier to persuade 
um, well, people actually were more willing to take risks with young directors, mm. certainly in commercials, than they are now. Um, so if you had talent, and, and, and you know, Partizan uh, was, was owned by George Berman in Paris. He came to me and Pete, um, and another guy, Roland Hill, at the start, um, to start this company in London. Um, and he knew that we had the contacts in London that he didn't have. Yeah. <clears throat> we had some directors between me and Pete that he didn't have, but he had this little, this guy called Michelle Gondry, um, on his books wow. who, who, you know, uh, at the time was making videos for his band called Wee Wee and he was a drummer and they were little strange little animated films. You can find them on the internet, go back and have a look at what he was doing. Yeah. Um, the band was called Wee Wee. Wee Wee. That's yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so you can YouTube it. I'll, I'll find a link. I'll try and maybe put YouTube it in. YouTube, we will. You will. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but just spell it the French way, or else you'll find some. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it was Pete that got him his first break because Pete's um, missus at the time worked at MCA Records, so he knew Tony Powell, who was the the, the boss at MCA, hmm. um, and that's how Michelle got his first video in the UK. Wow. Um, you know, again, that I mean, Pete done what I'd done you know we both sort of come up he'd been at um, another company um, uh, and we'd come up through the sort of again I think we'd followed similar paths where basically gift of the gab and a bit of yeah. you know, a, bit, a bit of work had got us got us some contacts um, it's like a full circle yeah, I mean, you kind of when you when you first started and you were like and you went to the, that place and it was like you figured out that it was who you knew you then suddenly yeah. just went, well, I'm going to then, you know, I'm going to become the person that people need to know. And it's like, you just went for it. And that's, I, I, that, that, that I'm getting goosebumps. Like just thinking about the possibilities that people have got at their hands right now. And you're like, just go and do stuff, just get it done. Mm. Just go and, yeah. you know, have the, the confidence that you have, try and find that from somewhere. I mean, I've been I've been around people recently who do the same as we were doing them. We I remember we, used, we were going to <clears throat> we were going to gigs all the time. We were meeting bands. We were meeting A and R guys. We mm. were getting ourselves around the place. So yeah, when yeah. there was an opportunity, we could fill it, or we could find people, you know, find a solution for them. I've worked with people recently who are doing a lot of that. A lot of young people making music videos are doing that now, mm. which is really impressive. You can do it, yeah. And th and they've got because they don't need a film camera anymore. No. Because digital's opened up the possibilities. You can make stuff, you know. Um, uh, you can make stuff with a, any kind of a camera, with a phone. If you've got some talent and a decent idea, look at what Gondry does on an iPhone. I mean, it's crazy. So there's no, there's no excuse for not making things. Yeah. But it's just, it is difficult to get people to pay you to do it. Yeah. That's the problem, I think. Um, I think that's harder now. There's less, I think there's less, fun enough, I think there's less even though there's, there's, there's the scope for, you know, on the internet for showing your work on Vimeo or whatever. But I think there's less opportunities to get commissions because with some decent money attached. And we learn how to use film cameras by shooting on film. Mm. I'd never seen a film wow. camera don't forget, until I went on a first shoot and I was like, what's that? How does that work? What's that loader doing? What's that mm. black bag about? You know, um, and, and transporting is one of these like, strange anomalies now, transporting film around the world. You know, Amazing. going to Canada, coming back with un, with 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 exposed Reels. stocks not being yeah. processed, not being processed, begging X-ray men not to put it through the X-ray. Yeah. So you can take it on the plane with you. All that stuff. I mean, uh, you know. Um, so I think we were 
we were lucky. We, you know, 30 grand music video those days, you'd go and shoot abroad. And you did, you know, take a cameraman from London, you'd turn up, rent a camera and go and do stuff. Um, but now they have the opportunity to do it with a, you know, God, for, God forbid a 5D or whatever. But, you know, there are lots of digital cameras, lots of digital yep. formats that people can use. So um, there are the opportunities. Nice. For sure. Now, with, with, with such a wealth of experience, was there ever, ever a point that you did have a lightning bolt moment where you did kind of go, okay, yeah, I am in the right industry and I am doing what, I, what I'm kind of destined to do? Or was, it, there, was there just such a belief that you were going to make it that there was no point in the lightning bolt because you already knew that you're on your right path? I don't think I ever had that. No, I just think it, 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 I think the lightning bolt was, as I said, when I got to work with someone like Nick Nolan, when I realised this is what you needed. That if you could find people around you who really knew what they were doing and you didn't piss them off and you listened <laughs> um, to what they said, then you'd learn enough and you'd know that you could find another guy like that or an yeah. editor or an art director uh, and just get talented people around you. Mm. Then if you had a clever director, he'd listen to those people and, and learn from them too. That's in the early days when we really didn't know what we were doing at all. Mm. We literally didn't have a clue. Or you go to a great editor and you suddenly realize here's a load of stuff make it make it brilliant yeah and and they did um and i think it's still the case now i think the brightest directors are the ones that that, that know how to use great people and listened because mm. someone a great wardrobe person wardrobe designer can elevate your your shoot if you allow them to do it mm. the same with makeup the same with any department you know great ad great production designer every single part of a a crew, great gaffer, sparks, grips, all those people, if you let them do what they do brilliantly, then you're going to be a much better director. And you're, and as a producer, if you try and make, make, create an atmosphere where they all feel comfortable, um, where they want to work because they're enjoying themselves, then I think that, that, that that's, that's the best thing that you can give a director. I think a director who's smart will just suck up all that knowledge. Nice. As a good DP does. Yeah. Good DP without his gaffer. He's like, oh, you know, you get some really great operators mm. who are really good DPs, but they don't, the finer points of lighting might, might not be their strong, their strength. That doesn't matter because they've got good people around them. Yeah. yeah. Surround um, yourself with the yeah. best that you, you know, it's like you, if you're the best, per, if you're the most knowledgeable, the best person on that film set, you're on the wrong film set kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. And I think if you're, a, if you're trying to make it in this business, I think the best thing you can do is ask questions because I, because no, I, it's a very, I think it's a very generous um, business when it comes to, to giving people knowledge and sharing knowledge. Mm. As long as you're not arrogant, if you're prepared to ask, I don't understand what did you mean by that? Mm. Uh, and, and I still do that now when someone says something, what, what are you talking about? I don't, what, I don't understand what that means. And they explain it. Like, oh, right. Okay. Um, and I think that film people are very generous with knowledge. I think that's, I think that's a, it's, it's common, I think throughout, the business um that if you get time with someone and you're prepared to listen and you're not arrogant um that they'll tell you anything you want to know you know there's a lot of young people yeah, yeah. you know talk to people ask them questions yeah try not try not to let them know it's your first day on a shoot because if you're a, if you talk to a spark first day on a shoot you're going to get sent to a van to get something that doesn't exist yeah but yeah yeah, yeah. The tart that, and paint and the you know the glass that's, and the yeah you know <laughs> but that's but again that's part of what we do that's yeah. why we love doing what we do because we are that's why we're struggling now because we're a very social business mm. and we all we've all been there and that's i think that the runner thing is that that, that route 
you know, despite that, you know, I did it quite quickly. I did run, I did do that. I did, I did sit and photocopy scripts without a, um, you know, just one page at a time because it hadn't have a sorter or a stapling machine mm. in a, in a basement, you know, for six months earning 25 pound a week. That's what I did. Uh, and that's how I, that's how you learn. And there is someone walks into the room who's a writer and you talk to them and they tell you stuff and then you just pick it up as you go along. And I think that's, I, I think the film community is great like that. I think they're genuinely, they're a very, very, very helpful bunch. Yeah. And with, with, with all of those kind of questions and, and all those days on set, is there, is there any kind of industry stories that we're allowed to know? That, that aren't yeah. NDA'd? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I've got, obviously there's a ton of them, but um, not, not, all, not all related to me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, um, if it, on, a, on a personal level, um, when we did Levi's, when we did Drugstore with Gondry, you know, part of them was just a music video company and we didn't know anything about ads. Uh, so when BBH called me and said, would you and Michelle like to come to British telly? I was like, what? what's that British arrows what's that mm. then well it's an awards thing and we think that you're gonna it's the film's gonna do quite well I was like okay do we have to wear a suit you know we went, we went along um and we started picking up all these arrows for this film um and then at the end of the night they had this you know best out of the year and we won that as well and wow. it was like and it's a box with this little silver trophy in it so and I phoned up Pete and I went he went how did we do and I went we did pretty well <laughs> stack of these arrows they give arrows away Pete. i don't know why but anyway they give all these arrows away and they're different colors uh but at the end of the night i do best out of the year and you went you're kidding me. i went no we won that as well he said okay i think we should get together and have a drink i said yeah we definitely should we went down the globe do you know the globe in- i don't what about a road it's a dive. Oh, okay okay all right uh, no not the fear no no yeah, yeah it's a dive bar off uh, just off put a better road and it's and it's you go downstairs and it's it, it's pretty dark down there anyway is it we, near the gym bar right? Is there a, oh, anyway, sorry, go on. I, I know. Anyway, um, so we had a drink and la la la. And the next day I walk into the office and Pete says, and everybody's quite excited because we're on this thing. Pete says, show him the trophy. And I went, the what? The trophy, the box, the thing with the pro. I went, ah, oh, okay. I've got to say, Pete, I can't remember where we left it. <laughs> He said, well, you had it at the Globe. I said, well, that's where I left it. Now, anybody who knows the Globe would think leaving anything that's got any silver in it is probably not the best. Probably not going to survive melt it down, really. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, luckily, it wasn't. We phoned them up when they, when they opened up about 12 or whatever it was. I said, you haven't got a wooden box in there, have you? And they went, yeah, we did wonder what that was. I said, well, I'm coming to get it. Don't open it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but, but literally, that, that trophy that British... And was that your first... Day, first you know event that yes. you were going oh wow first event and almost destroyed a bit of advertising history in the process just by <laughs> losing their precious trophy did you have um, to give a I know speech whenever, I, no 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 i didn't even go up on stage i don't know oh, okay. but i think gondry went and got it i, I yeah. hate going up on stage and i hate speaking in public so no um I, I even now when people go 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 and i go no no that's all right you go i'm fine oh, yeah. um um but yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, so that was, that was, that, I think that for me was like, I mean, right. I, and I, you know, I spent your stories like that, all alcohol related, of course, because we were quite drunk. <laughs> um, I mean, there is another one, I would say, the other one I love is there's a, there was a director called Johan Kamitz that was an outsider. Mm-hmm. Johan did all the great diesel jeans ads, um, unfortunately died a few, uh, uh, tragically a few years back. 
but he was a lovely man he, and he told me a story about a Budweiser commercial I think it was that he was doing in LA um, or Canada I can't remember anyway um, he said that they had this the, the, the hero of this thing was a bear that they'd been to see in this compound where it lived and it had done all the things they wanted it to do uh, but they were filming out in the woods of the, uh, somewhere anyway they arrived the client arrives all very excited about the bear and this beautiful bear they let him out and he goes and they sit him down by a tree and I don't know I have no idea what this bear was supposed to do <clears throat> but Johan said the bear got into the <laughs> for some reason <laughs> the bear out in the woods looked just took a look around and took one look down and saw his dick <laughs> and that's all he thought about <laughs> so he started to play with that and they obviously and, and Johan <laughs> went well that's the bear finish with then, isn't it? I mean, literally, there's nothing. I have no idea where just the story lost went. Lost all concentration. It's just like, like that. Oh, this is nice. Oh, I'm, I'm free. Nice. Yeah. How nice out here. Oh, what's that? Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, lots of them. But... Oh, amazing. Now we're, we're kind of getting close. We've almost done a forty minutes, and I like right. to. I like to to get in the the. You know, do you have any advice for your younger self? Now it can be industry related, or it can just be something that's that's. I, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. No, absolutely. My advice to my younger self is be a DOP. Boom. That's it. There you yeah. go. Don't be, don't be a producer. Don't be stupid. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because my daughter now is a, is a director, photographer, editor, and works in sporting content, worked at Chelsea for two years and is now freelance. And she was going down the same route as me. She was a PA at Fallon. Yeah. Uh, working for Tracy Stokes. And uh, in fact, I worked with her on a job, which was a terrible experience because you can't get your daughter to do anything she won't, doesn't want to no, do, even no. if she's a PA in agency, it just yeah, doesn't happen. But she said to me, after about six months, she said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a producer. Um, I said, that must have been quite a do. big thing for her to, that's a good relationship that you can have, because some kids might have just been like, you know, it's like, oh God, dad's a lawyer, I've got to be a lawyer, or mum's a doctor, yeah. I've got to be a doctor. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I think she was, she, it wasn't, she wasn't insulting me in any way, though. It's slightly different because mm. she still wanted to be in the film business. Mm. I said, what do you want to do? She want to be a director. I said, well, how, how are you going to do that? She said, I don't know. I said, well, I'll tell you, give you some advice. I think it's probably the only advice she ever listened to. Is you go out and make stuff. Stop. I don't watch football on a Saturday on the telly. Go yeah. get that camera and go shoot some stuff. Make some things. Shoot some stills. Do whatever you need to do. So when you are going to show people that what you want to do, they've got someone to look at. Mm. And she did. And then she went, worked at Copper 90 and her website's amazing. She's an amazing photographer, director, um, working with lots of massive sports stars now. Um, but yeah, she, so, you know, she said, I don't want to do this. And I, and I, I think um, that I, I look around as bits of this business, you know, you look at the creative side of it and, and I, I never really wanted to be a director. Um, but I would have loved to be a DP. What a business to be in. I mean, nice. not great if you want to have a family and a life with your family, if you're successful in film because you're never at home. Mm. Um, but they are, they're, the guy, they're the guys. You know, without them, we're just floundering around like, yeah. like, like tadpoles in a pond. We, yeah. just, we can't make anything happen without them. We all think we can. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they are the guys. When they turn up, they go, what, are you think, what were you thinking when you said you were going to shoot this at five and five in the afternoon have you not noticed where the sun is and we're like yeah no we did the thing you know we're like we do on recce now we all got that app we've got the sun seeker app still don't know how that what that (laughs) means right like uh yeah but you know that's not gonna work you know and they're uh, they're the guys that 
they're the guys that make it happen. They're the really the they're the glue to the whole thing. Mm. You know, I think, and the clever directors working creatively with a good DP, you can do anything. Nice. You know? So yeah, I'd have been a DP. I think you know I, I've had this discussion with other friends of mine who are producers, and we go, so what should we have done? <laughs> Yeah. and they all go DP big, with lenses and, and it's so glamorous I mean, you, and, yeah, yeah. you turn up when the job's confirmed and you leave before the shit happens like for all the editing happens you know and you have to deal with all the things you have to deal with in an edit quite rightly so they've gone they've long gone they're being glamorous on another shoot being the hero that oh. walks in and everyone goes oh there he is the DP's arrived you know what makes a great um, DP then oh I don't know being bloody good at their job I can't work it out I mean they're like because they're such they're all so different. Mm. It's just if they're good, they're really good, you know. And you just, you just know. It's like, wow, that guy's good, you know. I worked with someone recently who's very inexperienced, and you go, yeah, he's got it. Yeah. It was just something about him. Um, yeah, I, I just think they're amazing, and I, I think you know you could spend all day looking at a DP's reel and trying to work out how they've done certain things and why are they good and what is it about them. It's not about how many lights they've got. It's mm. just about there's there's an innate art to it they're proper artists like like you know they're like painters aren't they they're just yeah, painting with that's long, why everyone yeah i mean we've all worked with some amazing people i think that the business is different now because they're not shooting so much on film i think i think people who were working with light meters and 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 i think film is a more unforgiving yes format um than a digital thing but i still think mm-hmm. even now you know if you're it, you, you just look at the reels and you go wow you get some and you go yeah and you get others and you go, mm. you know. seen it, done it, you know. I don't know about that. It's just, it's just, it's, it, there's, there's so many good DPs out there. Yeah. There are a, a lot of very, very talented DOPs out there. And I think it must be, it must be an incredibly difficult um, part of the business to succeed in. I mm. think if you've made it to the top or near the top, you must be pretty bloody good at what you do. Um, because there must, for every one that you think are good, there's got to be a hundred easily who haven't made it, you know. And when do you stop being a focus puller and become? I don't know if that, I also don't know if that route still operates, but you know, it was very much in the, mm. in the days of film you, became, you were a loader and then you were a focus puller and then you were a DP mm. or an operator and then a DP. I think maybe some now can circumnavigate that because there's, there's not the need, but to be to do that training in the same way. Um, well, gaffers now becoming yeah. DPs and focus pullers staying as focus pullers. It's you know, it's yeah. I guess you find your niche, you find that little passion, that little thing that would make you get up at four o'clock in the morning to drive two hours, and you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I I always thought that if 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 I if I if I was working with directors that I thought I could do it better, or they weren't teaching me anything, mm. uh, then I wouldn't then I wouldn't want to be a producer anymore. And I work with directors who are young. Uh, slightly older and a bit older than that um, and all of them teach me stuff and all of them surprise me and all of them show me why they're directing and I'm not and that makes me happy uh, and the same with the DP you know mm. I've never met a DP I thought I could do that better. I've never even got close to that which kind of shows there's a there's a thing there yeah. but maybe maybe it's just you know I can take a nice photograph doesn't make doesn't mean I know anything about light mm. um, but I think the DP is the yeah is the one that I look up to the most out Amazing. of all of them. Some strangely enough. Amazing. So yeah, I'd be, a, be a DP. There it is. Um, any people, projects, things, you know, in, Gosh. environments I mean, you want to shout out to? Yeah. 
we're in strange times, aren't we, at the minute? Yes, sir. I think, uh, obviously, we still shout out to the NHS because that's... Big, yeah. You know, without them, it's fucked. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and also, funnily enough, at the moment, I think the APA, I mean, it, it's the APA's, um, the people who run the APA, like Steve Davis and the people who run the council, they give a lot of time. It's a production, it is a production company thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's maybe, maybe there could be, sh- there might be a shift in that because they've started to take care of all freelancers in the past few mm-hmm. weeks. You know, doing that, they did that big. Um, there's a big call. Zoom. Yeah, Zoom Last call. week, about 250 people on it. Yeah. And, and those people aren't production company, they're freelancers. And the APA's natural sort of remit is to represent production companies with the IPA and to negotiate terms and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and obviously I've worked with them a lot um, and I, I've worked very closely with Steve Davis as when Bash and I had 15 badges. Um, but also now I obviously rely on him an awful lot with, the, with what's going on. Um, and he works tirelessly for people. And I think that the efforts he's made on behalf of freelancers in the past three weeks, you know, been been pretty special, and I hope that you know that leads to some kind of maybe freelancers being a little bit more engaged with it, mm. um, which we've not been able to be. But maybe that will change. Maybe that will change. So I think, yeah, I think them and the and the NHS, yeah. Nice. Well, let's uh, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I love the stories. I love the I love the history. I love the background. And I guess what I'm taking away from this for, you know, if I was a, a 16-year-old film student listening, it's like, get out and do stuff. All right, we're not, we, yes, we're on lockdown, but we can leave the house. It's a perfect time to go out, shoot some stuff, write a script, just, you know, keep. If, if you want to, there's a, the writer's room, which is the BBC's okay. sort of, they, it's a good source for, for, for talent. They look that I don't know when it closes, um, but they've got a, um, is it a website? Did you say, a, or is it BBC? Yeah, like forward slash BBC, Well, look up the writers Come from BBC. That. You'll find it. Yeah, They're yeah. doing a competition, uh, a competition for a script about isolation at the minute. Wow. Uh, which they'll, which they'll make. Um, yeah. I know, I, I know them because I wrote something a while back that got through their process mm-hmm. to almost getting funded by the BBC. And, and they, um, they're an, ama- they're an amazing bit of the BBC where they try and they try and um, sort of foster young writers who haven't got representation because one of the big problems with writing without an agent is no one will read it. Yeah. But the B- but the writers' room takes it takes stuff from from wannabe writers and they and they they have they have submissions all year long for specific types of scripts but at the moment they've got a short format competition for isolation which Brilliant. which is obviously an interesting project and you're right. You know, you, we are in lockdown, but you can go out and make something. You can something. still do stuff. You can still yeah, do stuff. Exactly. Well, look, ladies and gents, I hope you had an amazing time listening. Um, I've had such a great chat. It's brilliant. Um, listen, subscribe and share. Send it to people. Uh, and if you're kind of listening whilst you're cooking, you know, have a lovely meal. Uh, if you're doing some DIY, just don't do too much. All right. Just leave something for next week because you've got plenty of time to... We've got lots of, of lockdown time to come. So just keep sharing to find some people, find your loved ones, do all the rest of it and just, just enjoy this time and don't let it get you down. Um, so big love and doing it again. That's a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end. So you all know the name. It's the film gods podcast. The what? The film God podcast.